Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. We're excited today to be talking to Siobhan Jones from Book of the Month. She is their editorial director, and she gives a lot of great picks for them, literary fiction picks that I've enjoyed. So we're going to talk to Siobhan, and we're going to do our regular spiel with the what we've been reading. I think Gail and I have backlist books to recommend. And then also each of us is going to do a round of a couple of books that we're really looking forward to reading this May. Great. Well, Siobhan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Well, we're excited to have you. Why don't we start out just very quickly, if you can tell the rare listener who may not know what Book of the Month is or the sort of the modern version of Book of the Month. Can you just give a quick uh, description of it and then what you do there? Sure. So Book of the Month is an e-commerce subscription box company. What we do is help readers discover new books that they will really like. So the way it works is every month on the first, we announce five new books. Our members have the ability to choose them. So, you know, there'll be like different genres, like there'll be a thriller, you know, historical and so on. Uh, members will pick one and we'll ship it to them. And that's basically, you know, the bare bones of it. And how long have you been there? I've been here for about two and a half years. I came over on the marketing side and I was doing things like running our Instagram. We have like a huge presence in the book community on social media. And then about a year and a half ago, I moved over to the editorial side. So now my primary responsibility is picking the books and then producing the content around them. So whether that's editing an essay by a contributor or a member of our community or actually writing that or whatever, I kind of oversee all of that stuff. We'll get into a little bit about Book of the Month and the huge impact that it has had on the reading community and certainly the online reading community. So let's table that for a second. Before we do that, we'll do our quick checking in with each other on what we've been reading. So Nicole, you want to kick us off? Okay, so I think I was telling you that I was reading, was going to be reading Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Rees. And I finished that and I really liked it. So Why Sargasso Sea is an answering back or a look back at Jane Eyre and some of the themes that were explored in Jane Eyre. And it just approaches that book through the lens of one of its maligned and mysterious characters, Rochester's woman in the attic, Bertha Mason. So this book takes a look at her background. I think she's just very lightly described in... Jane Eyre. But from what little we can glean about her, she is a Caribbean woman who he had a relationship with before he returns to England. So this is all about her childhood and what shaped her and what led to her marriage to Mr. Rochester and her descent into insanity, if you even want to say it's that, because this book covers so many different themes, I guess, around gender and patriarchy. It's set in Jamaica right after there is... A revolt, I believe, that ends in the abolition of slavery. So it's newly freed slaves are very angry and what their reaction is to white members of the community who live there. So it's a very tense novel in a lot of ways. It's a lot 
like I said, a lot of about colonialism and racism and gender and, and looking at the ways that lots of different characters either have agency or don't. So it, it was a really good read. So what about you, Gail? I was in my palate cleansing mode where I needed to read something light to get past some really, really stressful books. And I did finish two really light books. So the first one, well, I mean, the first one wasn't that light. It was The Girl He Used to Know, which by Tracy Garvis Greaves. And that book has been all over the book online book world over the last few months. And it's about a relationship between two people, one of whom is on the autism spectrum and one of whom is not. And they had a relationship in college and that ended. And then it picks up 10 years later when the two of them reunite. I really liked it. It was a very kind of gentle book and very engrossing. And I liked the way she treated the interplay of the two characters when one of them has some challenges dealing with kind of emotional emotional intelligence and understanding relationships and relating to other people. But it was a very, it was a sweet love story and it, it wasn't like super light, but it was it was sweet. Read that one and then I finished 99% Mine by Sally Thorne, which is her second book after The Hating Game. It's basically very similar to The Hating Game, just not as good. So I just needed something like light to get me through. And I read that. I did that one on audio and those are done. And I've started our book club book for May, which is A Woman is No Man. Which is also a book of the month selection, I think. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. You're reading a lot right now. Yeah. So, well, I usually have a book, an audio and a print going at the same time. And then I also started on audio a book by an author that I used to love in my 20s. And then I just haven't picked him up in years and years and years. His name is Stephen McCauley. And he wrote a book called My Ex-Life that came out, I'm going to say sometime last year. Yes. And I picked that up on audio. And that one, he's very entertaining, but also just incisive and kind of snarky at the same time. So That's where I am with reading right now. So Siobhan, how about you? What are you reading? Well, so I recently finished a book. I finished, I read In Cold Blood, which I had never read before by Truman Capote. Yeah, it was, it was very dark. Um, And I don't read a lot of, I don't read a lot of books. I don't read a lot of true crime, actually. But there are a lot of true crime books coming out this summer that are really big. And so, you know, I was thinking like, okay, I should probably read like the Ur text to get ready. And uh, it was really slow. It was a lot slower than I thought, you know, because it's, so many people have read it and it just begins and it's just describing this family. Um, basically, In Cold Blood is about this murder that happens in this small Kansas town. This like upstanding family, very Christian, very proper. They are very wealthy because of their successful farmers. And they are found one night and they've all been like brutally murdered. And so the book is kind of reconstructing how that happened. A lot of it is very much about their life in the town, their relationships with the people around them. And then it's also about these two criminals. And Truman Capote (laughs) does a lot of work towards reconstructing, you know, their travels around in Mexico. They're kind of clueless. You know, they go to Mexico at one point to look for buried treasure. You know, one of them is kind of like a childish type of person and the other is very... Um, a little bit more devious, but it, it was interesting. It was an interesting read. I don't know that I could recommend it to many people because it is a little bit slower, but 
but I'm, I'm glad to have read it. And then I just started this morning a book called Stay and Fight, which is coming out in July. Um, it's by Madeline Fitch, and it is about a young woman who lives in kind of like a, like a commune in Appalachia. And it's very funny. Um, a really voicey read, very dialogue heavy, and they just have, it's just, so far it's been, I would, it's been characterized by like these very absurd conversations, you know, like she's in this community, if you could even call it that, where people don't talk to other people that much. So the things they say are just completely loony. And while it's not laugh out loud funny yet, it's very quirky and, and I love it. So looking forward to finishing it. I've never heard a, a book described as voicey before. I love that. Yeah, the writing, the writer is like so. I guess the author, I mean, is so. Um, her words are so precise, and you know, there's this one point where she's talking about this guy, and his beard is covered in like sawdust, and then it's covered in like Cheeto dust, and she's just describing what that's like. <laughs> it's, you know, she describes it as like kind of furry or something, and it's just like you can like hear her, you know, coming through, and um, I really like that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Book of the Month and we can get into our conversation about that. So, um, you know, Nicole and I both spend a fair amount of time on Facebook groups related to books or Bookstagram or just reading other people's blogs. And, you know, Book of the Month, it really seems like it's had an enormous impact on readers. I'm curious to know, how do you define or measure the success of Book of the Month? Are you looking for just looking at sales? Do you look at buzz potentially created by the books that you guys have picked? You know, how are you, how are you measuring on a monthly basis, the impact that you've had on this community? That's a great question. I mean, we measure it in a couple different ways. You know, we're always trying to grow our membership. So that's one obvious way, you know, did we add members this month? Um, you know, we also define our success by the happiness of our members. We, tell them we're going to provide them this service and help them find the best books every month. And so when they really like the books for me, that's like, that's a successful month. I also feel maybe two years ago, our presence in the community was a lot um, smaller. We weren't as well known. Um, there were, you know, many publishers who didn't, it, it's not that they didn't want to work with us, but they didn't really see the value in it. You know, now, um, we have we have amazing relationships with every major publisher and quite a few of the smaller ones, and they are really excited about what we're doing. And when we do a book, they view that as like a huge success for the book because we're gonna you know run ads about it everywhere and um, promote the hell out of it, and all of our members are gonna post about it on Instagram. And it's really this cool thing that creates like a moment for the book because you know so many books are published every month, and so. Uh, getting one to kind of rise above is very hard now. So when we're able to, I think a great example is A Woman Is No Man, which you mentioned, Gail. That book, that was one of our original book brand ambassadors, you know, someone who has a presence on Instagram. And she wrote this book. And I remember her telling me like two years ago, I wrote a book like, hey, will you consider it? And I was like, okay, sure. You know, but a little wary because I thought, you know, if it's not good, it's going to be really awkward. <laughs> but then I read it and it was amazing. And we did the book and readers really responded to it. And they were posting about it a lot. It was, they rated it so highly on our site. It was like our members most loved book. And the response was incredible. And she was like, without book of the month, like this really launched the book for me. 
And that for me, that's what feels exciting. You know, it's not really about the numbers at the end of the day for me. Like, it's great if we're growing. I love it. But like, what's really cool is we had this emerging author. She wrote this debut novel and we were able to help her find an audience. And that's the most exciting thing for me. Where do you monitor conversations? Do you ha- do you have kind of the your own book of the month owned channels, or are you kind of all over? We we try and we try and be everywhere. I think Instagram is kind of like our main stomping ground, but we don't. We really let our members kind of interact with each other. There is like a Facebook group. It's closed. I think it has a couple thousand members, but it's just dedicated to book of the month. And one of, someone on our customer service team discovered it and sent it to me. And I was like, oh, wow. Because it was like a thousand or 2000 people had created this community just to talk about book of the month. And they weren't there to be like, oh, my books took forever to ship this month or whatever. They were there to like talk about the books. And I thought that was so cool. So I joined and, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, and so I'll send it to you. It's cool. They're just positive people who are readers and love reading. And sometimes I'll comment, you know, like if someone's like, you know, I didn't love the book and I'll like drop a crying emoji or whatever. So that's kind of where uh, I like to interact. Well, let's give a little context when we talk about how widely Book of the Month has just to Gail and I did a little bit of digging and research. Like I went back to the very beginning to see what exactly I had either select it from book of the month or book of the month selections that I either have on my shelf separately or read separately. So I was telling Siobhan before we got on the show that, well, I knew about it from basically, I think book of the month relaunched back in March of 2015. And at the time I knew someone who was working there and I did a beta for it. So the first book that they, that book of the month picked was Station Eleven. And at that point, they were doing like little mini discussions around it. So everyone got the book and got to do a discussion around this book. And um, there was a sort of like a a bit more of a discussion book club component to it, which was interesting because, you know, for me, I didn't think that was going to work in terms of being able to read, read like that, to read my book each month. So the way you guys have expanded it and now you're having these greater conversations everywhere, I think, is is really working. So according to my just rough estimate, if five books a month for the last however many months, it seems like Book of the Month has selected 255. So out of those 255, 99 I've either read, I have on my shelf and have either read or not read. And 55 I have actually read. And Gail, you said you had something like 31. I think 31 I've read, and then I actually stopped counting the ones that either I want to read or I have, but there's another 25 easily. That's amazing. We're very much in your comfort zone of, like, readers. Well, because there's always good literary fiction selections, and, you know, at heart, I think we're literary fiction girls. And then we do get in there with a psychological suspense, which I also feel like is very well represented in the Book of the Month selection. So there's definitely going to be a lot. I'm curious, like, what it, what would be, for both of you, your favorite book of the month of all time? You know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking of, of asking Gail this. Oh, my gosh. It's so I mean, hard. Oh, man. This whole list? Because you have, you have an American marriage. Oh, yeah. That was on there. And we just did a mock March Madness book competition. American marriage was our winner. But um, some of these other, The Leavers was on there. 
Well, no, but yeah. it was in the. It was in. It was ranked. Yeah, it was. Um, so Esso was eligible. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna say if I had to pick a favorite out of this whole list, I would probably pick Station Eleven. Oh wow! Yeah, all the way back, all the way back. Yeah, but there's other really good stuff, and and what I like too is that. There, you've got lighter stuff like One Day in December, or How to Walk Away, but then you've also got Golden Child. I mean, the Golden Child was super dark. Book of Essie was very entertaining. I mean, there's a very nice, well-rounded feel to this because you're all right. over the place. There's a, I, I made a list of the ones I didn't love, and I only found five. And The other woman was on there, Gail, and you were trying to get me to read that book. I was? Yeah. Is that like the, the Sandy one. Jones one? Yeah, why didn't I? You know what? That didn't make my list somehow. I missed that one. So I'm at 32. (laughs) (laughs) But the other woman, I I don't know if it was, I liked it, but it wasn't like my favorite. Oh, yeah, there it is. I see. It's on the ones I didn't love. There's just a really nice feel of, of like, there's just a very nice variety here. The curation, I would say, is excellent because then there's also The Mothers by Britt Bennett. I really love The Wonders. The Wonder by Emma Donahue. I know, I mean, I think that she followed up Room very differently. And she tends to write a lot of different books. I love that book. But it's heavy literary fiction. And I don't feel like it's everyone's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Syracuse by Delia Efron. I just feel like that's the perfect vacation book. Vacation book, Summer Read. I just love that book. And then there's A Gentleman in Moscow is on here. So there's just mm-hmm. so many. We've read so many. Mm-hmm. Pachinko. <laughs> Pachinko. We've read all the books on the book of the month list. <laughs> You're the book of the month experts. You should do like a guest. I'm often not surprised by the choices that come out, you know, in terms of what I've been reading or what I know is coming out. It's always interesting to see what the picks are going to be. But I feel like in terms of literary fiction, I can always see that, you know, that would be a good book of the month pick. Mm-hmm. What trends are you seeing? Like you guys obviously in some ways are setting the trends because you're, you know, curating this list that then gets picked up. But then when you see what people select, you're probably also internalizing that data and start, you know, that must in some way help inform the future picks. So what are you seeing changing among your reading community over the last couple of years? I think one thing I'm seeing this year is, Readers are finally starting to maybe start to tire of the really standard kind of domestic suspense, you know. So going back to this was obviously a huge thing in books for the last five, almost ten years. People jumping on the girl on the train bandwagon are trying to replicate Gillian Flynn, um, basically like that thriller that's, you know, maybe takes place in a home. You've got maybe a mom or a a wife, some kind of woman or girl, and usually there's a woman or girl in the title. (laughs) Oh, we had a whole show on that. (laughs) We talk about this a lot on the show. Yeah. It's it's well-trodden territory, and for a long time we really just, we pounded that too. You know, we would pick one every month. And our members, they were really into it, but we have a core group of thriller readers in Book of the Month, which is why we do so many. And if you're reading a thriller every month, if you're getting a thriller from us every month, and it is always domestic suspense, after maybe a year or so, 
you've read all the twists, you know, like you can see it all coming, you know, if it's going to be someone who, oh, like actually the murderer, it was the same guy with, he had split personality or, you know, she was, she blacked out right when the murder happened, but she actually didn't kill him, but they told her, you know, all this stuff. And so people started to get really just kind of, um, burnt out on it. Mm-hmm. And so this year we've tried to move away from it a little bit. You know, in April this month, uh, we did a book called Miracle Creek, which isn't a traditional thriller. I would put it more in that kind of little fires everywhere category where you are like reading to find out what happens, but it's not like who killed the girl necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. But it's more of a legal thriller, you know, so that's a little bit different. And, um, you know, my hope is that this year we're able to find thrillers like that or like Silent Patient, for example, is another great one. Oh, I really like that one. And Miracle Creek was my selection last month and Normal People, which I read. Oh, yeah. Did you like it? I did. I did. It's it's so dark, though. So dark. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's one trend I'm seeing that I'm very happy to see, actually. Um, yeah, getting away and in, in more into just, I don't, you know, we want to see more creativity again and maybe more traditional mysteries that more of that Agatha Christie type um, sweet spot. So that's been a really exciting thing to see. I feel like everyone has is now joining my nightmare because I feel like I had read so many thrillers that it was just really difficult, you know, when and when you read the same genre and you love the same genre, you do start looking for whether it's deeper characterization or um, things that are set in different places, I feel like it does force you to look for something extra in order to stay involved because, yeah, like you said, you, I, ooh, I know how this is going to end or it's probably going to be this. You know, Usually I'm within one or two choices, so it's good to have something. I'm really excited to read Miracle Creek. It's a great one. Yeah, that the book is getting so much buzz. People just love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and the author is so cool. I mean, she had this whole career as a lawyer, and then she wrote this book that primarily takes place in the courtroom. So that's just really exciting. Like, I think people are going to love how realistic it is. Well, I was just going to say that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the psychological thrillers. We call them popcorn thrillers. Um, and we talked a lot about the girl uh, you know, girl in danger. And, um, I, you know, I think, I think we're probably relieved also to see that trend dissipating a little bit because it just, I don't know. It feels a little tired. Yeah. I want to see something new, you know, like let's, it's, it's great. And and we'll still do them this year. We'll do a lot of them, but you know, I want to see, I want to see more, I think in that genre. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, how do you, I mean, how do you balance the reading that you do? Like, how do you what? How do you define what's work related reading? What's personal reading? Are you able to mix it up? Do you feel like your, you know, like what you're looking for in books aligns with a lot of? I mean, not the ones that you recommend, but just site overall. Yeah, that's a. It's it's really tough. I really don't have as much time to read just for me anymore. You know, my sweet spot as a reader is kind of, well, I have two. It's one, it's like 19th century glasses, like that, like Dickens stuff. I love that. Um, or it's like, 
you know those like huge books of the 90s like anything by Richard Russo or Margaret Atwood or Ann Tyler um you know like that's kind of like what I turn to when I want to read for pleasure and obviously we're not doing any of those for book of the month and so I just you know I on Saturday I don't read for work I read for me and you know on Friday night things like that but primarily I think 70% of my reading time is for work now and what's been exciting about it is a lot of the books that we do for book of the month are the kinds of things I might not have read when I was like you know, 21 and and just out of college and very only reading really literary stuff, you know, but it's brought me to new kinds of books that now I really like. Like, I never expected to be someone who would enjoy reading, like, a romance book, you know? I just, I didn't really care. And, um, you know, a lot of the books are about, like, I don't know, male-female relationships, you know? It just, I don't know. I, I never read books like that. And now when I read a really good one, I'm like, damn, that was great. Like, it's hard to write, you know, a compelling romance book that's also easy to read and you can finish it in a day, but also you care about the characters and the plot makes sense. You know, that's really tough. And like, I think what one thing that's really cool is we're seeing more diversity in romance. So you've got like Helen Wong, who wrote uh, The Kiss Quotient, and she has a new book coming out called The Bride Test. Um, or you have Jasmine Goulery who wrote The Wedding Date and The Proposal, and they are writing these kind of, I wouldn't say edgier, but they're writing these younger romances, more millennial, more feminist, you know, that doesn't always end in marriage, uh, and they're really more about the characters developing, you know, for themselves. And so that's just been really, I've, I've found that like really fun to read. Um, I really like <laughs> a really good romance, yeah. This is kind of a, a wonky question, but <laughs> do you guys, and this may be like a different department than what you're working in, but do you guys sort of assign like a psychograph to your readers or to your subscribers so that I'm curious to know whether the typical person uh, varies their genre over the course of a year, or do you have like, is it the same people who are always coming back for historical fiction and the same people who are tending more towards romance? And do you guys spend time analyzing that? We do. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, we're constantly surveying our members and they can rate the books on our site. And so we're always pouring over that data. Like, what did they like about this book? Did they not, you know, what didn't they like? Should we ever do a book like that again? One thing that we see, which is really cool. Well, first of all, there's always readers who are going to just read in their comfort zone. You know, like there's that thriller reader I mentioned. Some people, they'll just generally pick the thriller for their first book, at least. You know, and we'll see that with other genres like historical fiction. People just want like a great story that took place not today. But one thing that's really cool about Book of the Month is that a lot of our readers feel compelled to try something outside of their comfort zone a lot. You know, so... I was talking to a member the other day and she was like, you know, I, I normally read the thriller, but this time I went with this book, Queenie. It just sounded so good and it's not the kind of thing I normally read, but, you know, I went for it. And I hear that a lot, especially with the li more literary books. We have a core group of readers who they come for like the literary, you know, when we do a Jennifer Egan or a Zadie Smith or something like that. But we also have a lot of members who are members of Book of the Month because they they feel like they want help curating like the options every month. And when they go outside their comfort zone and pick more of a literary book, I think that's really special, you know? And sometimes they don't like it, but it's cool. And, and I think 
most of our members are picking from different genres month over month because they want to try new things and they want to read different types of books and hear from different types of voices. I think the curation aspect is so important because like you said, there is so much noise. There's thousands, literally thousands of books that can come out in a month. And I, you know, just to think that there are five that, you know, maybe you won't love everything, but some you will really love or will be an enjoyable read. And just to say, you know, instead of having sort of decision paralysis, like when we get ready to prepare for our, you know, oh, these are the hot books we're looking at for May coming out, or this is what we're excited to read. And as I, you know, I'm like, oh, there's like 50 books that look somewhat interesting. What, what should I pick? Or what should I say? You know, what is, what is the thing that I'm really the most excited to read? So I think that it is something that's kind of critical to just have five choices <laughs> and to know that they are going to be vetted and you can read, you know. Yeah, I, I think like, you know, and we'll always have members every month who are like, pick 10 books. Let me pick from 10. This isn't enough variety or whatever. And But I really I really believe in the five, you know, like it's kind of the best thing about the product in, the, in a way. You get this like listicle every month, but it's not overwhelming and it's not just like here is every book that has garnered some praise that's coming out in May because I don't think that's that useful, you know. And there's also a lot of other sources for that. That's not what you guys are doing. Right. Exactly. I mean, they can go to Publishers Weekly or Goodreads or, or know, BuzzFeed or book book page or so. Yeah. But you guys are really offering a service, which is they can kind of just put their mind on autopilot a little bit and just trust that you guys have spent a ton of time to curate this and you're giving them, you're narrowing down their choices. And five is still a lot, I think. Yeah, it's a lot. And you can always skip a month. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think the people who really use Book of the Month I think we have a lot of members who, you know, they'll get two boxes every three months or whatever. You know, sometimes they just don't like the books that month or they're going on vacation and they're busy or whatever. I think, you know, we're happy. People should skip when they don't like the books, you know, and then come back next month. We'll always have something different, hopefully. And, uh, yeah, I think having five, I think, is perfect. You know, I, I always joke every month, like, four of the books slide into place so easily. And then the fifth one is just like... Like, what are we, you know, what are we going to pick? We have one spot left, but um, I think five is the perfect number. Do you, how do you view the role of the bookstore today? Like the physical bookstore? I, I go to bookstores a lot, which people always act, people always seem surprised by that because I work for a digital book marketing company, you know, like we, you know, I... But I, for me, the bookstore has always been like a place of comfort where you can just learn about all types of different books and just take one home and see, you know, I think that's really exciting. It's really cool to like pick something up, read about it. And you just get that like gut feeling like I want to read that and then like take it home right then. Um, when I was like a teenager, my mom, um, took me and my sister to the bookstore. Like we just did that for fun all the time. And so I feel like for me, it's a really comfortable place to be. Um, I think one thing that bookstores do really well today is you get that personal touch, you know, you can talk to, um, you know, a bookseller who's read everything there and you can be like, I liked, you know, normal people. What should I read? And then they'll just tell you. And, we try and replicate that on book of the month. Obviously, you know, we have like a human for every book telling you why, what it's like to read it. But I think there's something about meeting someone in person too. That's really appealing. And 
you know, you can ask them a million questions and so on. So for me, the bookstore has really become a place of like where you can meet book experts and get help. It's also a place where there's like community, you know, there's always author signings, um, you know, Q and A's and things like that, which are really fun to go to. And at book of the month, we don't discourage people from, you know, buying our books at different places. We just want the books to succeed. So I think there's a world where, you know, book of the month can be successful, but indie bookstores can be successful too. You know, like we need them, like everyone needs help choosing a book now and then. I think that the internet and social media and Facebook groups and Instagram have really electrified the reading community Mm -hmm. um, by just fostering these connections that you know, in the past, people wouldn't have had, maybe you had an in real life book club, or you had your friends, but you didn't have this ability to talk to people all around the country, around the world about books at any time through any number of very easy and accessible ways that don't require a huge time commitment. And I think that it has really, um, I don't know, it's it, it, as as a reader, I feel like we are in a very exciting time. And clearly what you guys are doing is part of that. Do you, do you guys agree with that? Or do you feel like it's always been like this? I would agree with that. I think, especially on Instagram, the community has gotten so big. There's so many people with just like book dedicated accounts who are talking about, you know, the things they're reading and the things that are coming out. And it's helpful. You know, I follow a lot of influencers who, you know, they'll be like, this book's coming out in September. And I'm like, what is that? I'm not thinking about September yet, you know, and it's just seeing books everywhere. When you see it again and again and again, you want to join that conversation. I'd be curious, what do you guys see? Do you see like Instagram is the primary place where there's like an online community for books? Or are you more Facebook users? Where do you guys live? I venture on Facebook every now and then I'm mostly there for the groups, like I'm not a big Facebook person. So unless I get you know, it's set up. So unless I get an alert that someone has said something to me and I need to respond to it, you know, maybe I venture on once or twice a week because we have our readerly Facebook group there. And I always like to check in on that because that's really fun. But other than that, I'm mostly on Instagram and I feel like Gail is sort of the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, I tend to do more Facebook. Um, I like Instagram. I just find it a little more overwhelming. Like it's a harder to, um, I don't know, to sort of like, I, 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 I like to scroll through it, but I don't find that that's where I do most of my actual engaging. So I'm in a couple of different Facebook groups. Spivey Club is one of them and a few other ones on Facebook where I tend to comment with people, share. And then, you know, between Nicole and me, we've got a few blogs, a podcast. And so there's usually a conversation going on there as well. And so, yeah, I think I tend to do, to stick more to Facebook. I still read a lot of blogs and I also listen to other book podcasts. So it's kind of a swirl of all of the above. Yeah. Do you guys take like reader questions on the podcast? Sure. It's cool. I feel like that's such a, like a nice way to learn about books too. It's just someone kind of telling you about it. You know, you don't have to read another Mm -hmm. Amazon product page. I'm a big podcast fan. Yeah. Yeah, we love that. And, you know, I also read a lot of, I still read like book page, I read indie next list, like I'm feel like there's just this constant, like influx of book related news. And some I, I forget 
where I learn about stuff. I know there's people who track their recommendation sources. Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves is really good about that. She's got a whole spreadsheet that you can buy from her where she, you can track all that. And I just, I don't know. I don't do that. I, it, it just kind of all goes into this like general mass in my mind. And I'm like, oh yeah, somebody liked this book. So I'll take a look. Yeah. But you should sh- check out, Sarah also has her monthly, she does a monthly roundup for book of the month where she will let people know what the picks are. And if she's read anything in advance and she's heard of anything, she makes recommendations or points people to other reviews of the book. So she kind of helps you make, yeah, she kind of helps you make decisions about what might be the best book for you a month, that month. But she also has like this cool little thing where you can track she has a spreadsheet and I think it's a free download that you can track what it is, like who your closest judge is, you know, depending on what, what judges are recurring. I know you guys used to do it. The judges used to pick monthly and now it's more, there's more variety in terms of who, who might be picking books. Yeah. That's really cool. I didn't know that existed. I'm going to go look, I'm going to go download the spreadsheet and see like who should be recommending <laughs> books to me. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a good exercise because, you know, when you find someone who shares your similar taste, I mean, for me, it's Nicole. So like, I don't, I basically don't need that much more than Nicole. She reads more than I do. She knows what I like. I know what she likes and our overlap is big. So, you know, I don't feel like I'm, I certainly don't feel like a dearth of, you know, recommendation sources, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think as book people, we're always curious. And I think to the value in a podcast and listening to people talk about books is the reason that I don't like a book might be the reason that you are going to love that book, or there's going to be things that I really love that I just know, Oh, I'm not going to recommend this too widely, or you're not going to, you know, like yeah. if I said, I just read this great book about aliens and Gail knows that <laughs> or, or space out of, out of space. She's not going to read that book. Mm-hmm. Right. Although Nicole, here's a question for you. My, my ambit of books is narrower than yours, but if we're both, if we're reading within kind of our, you know, literary fiction memoir thing, do you and I ever actually disagree on a book we've both read? Like, I can't think of the time that that's happened. I don't, I don't think that we flat out disagree on the books that we both read. I yeah. think we usually don't like them to the same degree. Yes. I think that's Maybe right. Maybe the levers is one. You, you liked you liked it more than I did. I liked it more, but I could see why you didn't like it because there was issues with that character Deming. I think he was just a difficult character, and you had to accept that about the book and enjoy kind of thinking about his journey. Yeah, and you um, you liked um, everything here is beautiful more than I did, although I liked it more in the end. But I th- I feel like generally we're very consistent about when we have read the same things. We usually. Or feel pretty similarly about them. Yeah, yeah. I think we're usually like love or like like. You mm-hmm. know, we both really love something, or one of us likes it and the other loves it. So yeah, yeah. yeah I don't think consistent. that there's any book within our um, pool of books that I suggest that you read or you suggest that I read, and it's just like, oh my god, I hated that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Hence, hence the podcast. <laughs> If one of you is like, you have to read this, you're not like, oh, fine. Like, you know, you're going to like it. Right. Even though Gail was trying to get me to read The Other Woman, and I don't know why. I think you just wanted to talk about it. Probably. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, let's get into some of our regular regular features. So, Siobhan, we're going to ask you some questions that we like to ask of guests that come on the show. And then we can talk a little bit backlist and maybe do a little a little quick mention of some books that are coming out um, in May. Oh, but, yeah. I forgot all about that part. I know. I know. <laughs> We've had so much fun talking about this other stuff. All right. So, you already told us what you're reading now. Tell us about an author that you have read all of their books. Okay. I... Hmm. Oh boy. I don't, I, JK Rowling. I mean, I don't really read, I'll read like half of an author's, you know, catalog. And then I'll be like, oh, you know, and I, I need to experience other authors. So I think I've read very deep into like, um, the works of Dostoevsky and Charles Dickens and Iris Murdoch, for example, but I haven't read every book. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's an author who I've read everything besides like, you know, Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do that? All- do you read like every book by an author if you just love that author? I've read all of Tana French's books. There's a few authors. Well, Amor Tolls only has two books. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've read all Curtis Sittenfeld Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I get flighty. I have to move. Yeah. But then this is also over. I mean, I discovered Tana French when she first came out and I enjoy her book so much. And she only has one a year and she's always switching up like what her writing is and what her approach is. Like the witch elm was completely different than anything else she had written. (laughs) And, um, so I think if, if you get in early on an author, and they don't have that many books, and they're only putting out one or two a year, it's a lot easier to to do that. And I think over the course of my blogging life, I've run into authors who whose work I've just loved and, you know, have looked forward. I think Wendy Walker is going to be one of those authors, too. I have her new one. Oh, I love the new one. It's creepy. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, tell us about a book that everyone else has read that you haven't read. That I haven't read... Okay, this is really embarrassing, and I'm going to read it before the movie comes out because I love Kate Blanchett, but I have not read Where Do You Go, Bernadette. I have started it a couple times, and then I've just put it down for one reason or another, and I know everyone talks about how good it is once you're in, but I also... There's something that I don't like a little bit about books that are told in, like, letter form, you know? It just... But then when I read them, it never bothers me. So I, I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that probably next week. And then I will have read it. And then I can talk to everyone about it. <laughs> so Siobhan, yeah. you just touched on the one book I think that we had diverging opinions about. Maria Simple's first book, This One Is Mine. Oh! You, know, you didn't like that, did you? I don't like, um, actually, I don't like that one or Bernadette. I'm one of the rare so, Maria Simple non-fans. I don't like either. I one. didn't like... I wasn't crazy about Bernadette, but I really like this one as mine. Wait, should I not read it then? I felt like this was like this sure thing. Um, I didn't like it. I mean, it, you know, I, but like so many people do. So I, I'm definitely a, a an outlier on that one. I would say, yeah, don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> we have to reevaluate. Or try the first one because Nicole liked it. We read that one together for a book club on my blog years ago. Oh, yeah. I just, she's just, she and I just do that. We just don't get along. <laughs> the, the book that she wrote after Bernadette, I feel like is a rewrite of, of Bernadette. It's like basically the same setup, but it has a different 
ending. So I sort of liked it a little bit more. I haven't completely given up on Maria Simple. I just think Bernadette was just such a cold, odd character to give yourself Mm. over to and the relationship that she had with her daughter. Mm -hmm. I think it was just things like that just made it a slog in in, in a sense for me. But um, Gail is right. I feel like we're outliers on that. I feel like everyone loves Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Okay. Maybe I'll have to just try it and then... Yeah, you're just going to have to... You're just going to have to do it. Yeah. Or just <laughs> see the movie. It'll take less time and it'll probably be better. The movie and then tell everyone, no, but I saw the movie, which I know annoys readers <laughs> so much. <laughs> okay. So this is a similar question. What's a book that you hated that everyone else liked? You know, I know. Oh, right. <laughs> um... Okay, I I wouldn't say I hated it, uh, but I really I did not enjoy a little life by Hanya Yanagihara. Ahara, um, everyone loves this book, and for me, it didn't land. I felt like a lot of people when I when I get into it with them, and when I tell people I don't like this book, they get really annoyed with me, and they'll start being like, "But I cried the whole time," and I'm like. But is that really a measure of like how good it was? Because I cried during that book too, and I felt very manipulated. I I think the violence and the suffering was just gratuitous. Oh, Siobhan, you're part of our tribe. You guys, yeah, and I've read other books by her. Like I loved The People in the Trees. It was so dark and weird, but Little Life for me ended around page 300, and then there were 500 pages of like sadism and just ugh. So I didn't finish that book. I found, I I think I got halfway through, and then it was just Jude, I believe, is the main. Out of the Four seems to be the main character, even though it's supposed to be, you know, it's like looking at their lives equally and their friendship and things that they pursue. He was just so, just so grim and in such a dark place, and there was just no alleviating anything for him. That it was just, it just was not, valuable for me like you I thought it was gratuitous I didn't really see the beauty in it it was just too much for me you know I her writing is great like I would like to try some of her other novels this is the only one that I've attempted to read but I just couldn't get through it it was just pain it was just painful and it's like why am I suffering like I understand he's suffering and he's fictional but I just don't feel like I should be flinching and just you know, it was just too much for me. Yeah. And like, what do we learn from, you know, like there's nothing I didn't, all I took away from it was like, wow, that was really sad, you know, but it's not realistic at all. Even like the setting it's set in New York, but it's not tied to any time period. I didn't find that interesting. I was like, how can you write a book in New York and not reference, you know, I don't know any Giuliani or nine eleven or any of the major things that make New York, New York, you know, like I just thought there were so many gimmicks like that. And it just was a really, not pleasurable experience for me. I don't know. What did you think, Gail? I didn't read it. Um, I have it. It was one of those things that was like so popular. And then when that happens, I always am like, eh, I just, like I get nervous. I thought, Gail, you tried to read it and couldn't keep the character straight and kind of wandered away from it. Yeah. I, so I think I read maybe the first like 50 pages or something. And I just was like, Ugh. you really have to invest in the beginning because they're, you know, they're all college age men who are kind of living together so it takes a while to figure out okay this one does this and and who's interested you know like even their even their identity isn't really clear I feel like as you go along certain ethnicity and racial characteristics become 
like you start to get to know them more, but in the beginning, they're just like four guys. Yeah, I couldn't tell them apart. And then I just, I don't know, I put it down and it's just sitting on the shelf. I don't think it's going to get picked up. (laughs) Okay, so if I handed you $25 and sent you into a bookstore, an actual real life physical bookstore, what would you buy? Okay, I think, hmm. I think I would buy Black Leopard, Red Wolf, the new uh, fantasy book by Marlon James. I'm a, yeah, that came up on our show last week. Oh, okay. Ha, right. So I'm, I, I would love to know what you guys think about it because I loved A, a History of Seven Killings. Um, and I, I think he's the coolest. His writing is incredible. But I haven't read it. I'm so intimidated by it. You know, I read like the first page because we briefly considered it for book of the month and I was like this is so hard like and it's a trilogy and and it's long and I was like I don't think it's gonna work and so I put it down but I'm just so curious about it everyone's reading it I want to have an opinion that's what I would buy I haven't read it Nicole you want to read it right but you haven't actually yet I can't remember no I haven't committed to it I really loved his the book of night women like I've never read a book like that I think his voice is so important I want to read A Brief History of Seven Killings. I don't know about this one because it's fantasy. It seems like it's really brutal. I I listened to this bookworm podcast where he was a guest on it, and it was amazing just to hear him talk about it and talk about all the different things in it. I think it's it might be a little bit too far out of my wheelhouse. I hear the first 70 pages require a lot of investment just to figure out what's going on, just to set the book up. Yeah. Yeah, and he his writing is already so dense, and you it's like uh-huh. a commitment. And um, I don't read a lot of fantasy; I don't particularly enjoy it. So this is like a double challenge for me. Go back to school, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we have two more things we want to try to cover on the show, and the first one is we always talk about a, a backlist book that we just want to remind people of. And it can be, you know, however old you want it to be. So, okay. So Nicole and I will each do a book, uh, a backlist book. And Siobhan, we didn't warn you about that. So if you want to think of one in the next few minutes, that's fine. And if you don't, that's fine too. And then we're each going to share a couple of books coming out in May so that people have um, some new books in mind as well. So Nicole, why don't you go first with backlist? Okay. So my backlist book is Daughters of the Witching Hill by Mary Sharrett. It's about, she writes about these, uh, these witches in England, you know, and of course, by which, as she goes into the story, you discover that these are just women who are basically familiar with magic, or the magic that comes from the earth, herbal healing, natural remedies, things like that. But what happens to them, I guess, when that practice begins to grow more than this particular community would want it to like it's about this this woman who has always been a healer and and people have gone to her and she's gotten a status in this community but she teaches it to her daughter I think she teaches it to her sister so more of them have this knowledge the town is very poor and it's about like it's at a time when Catholicism has been overtaken by um, Protestants in the country. So there are these religious battles, there's lots of poverty, and just what happens to women who had agency, who who are growing, who 
are in these difficult times when people start to turn against them. And it's just, it is about witchcraft, but it's more like about the bonds of women. It's about these changes that are going on in society. And it's a book that's, you know, I don't know, it's just really interesting, just powerful women and how people react to that and how how they react to restrictions around around them. So if you're interested in witchcraft, religious freedom in England, it takes place, I think, in the 17th century, so in the 1600s. She just paints such a beautiful picture. Like, her writing is so great. And this is such an interesting book. Can I add to my list to um, pick up? My, the list <laughs> grows ever longer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you can spend your $25 on. Okay, my book is totally different from that one. Um, I picked The Post-Birthday World by Lionel Shriver, who's one of my favorite authors. Um, The Post-Birthday World is a book that is kind of like the movie Sliding Doors, but told in book form. So it's about a woman who's been with her longtime boyfriend for many years, and one day she meets a snooker player. This takes place in England. And the question is, is she going to embark on an affair with the snooker player, or is she going to stay with her boyfriend? So once she hits this crossroads, the book is then told in alternating chapters that um, each chapter picks up a different narrative. So whether she stayed with him or whether she didn't. And it's just, she's one of my just all-time favorite writers. I, I Her gift with language is amazing. And what she does with this book is so masterful. She you know, constructs these two worlds happening simultaneously. And she manages to draw parallels between the two, like the same line of dialogue will appear in one, in one scenario. And then that line of dialogue will pop up a chapter later in the other scenario, even though obviously they're totally different because they're mutually exclusive. If one happens, the other doesn't happen. And it's just such an engrossing book. And she's so clever and funny and smart in the way she dresses it. I think of all of Lionel Shriver's books, this is probably the most accessible. Um, Her books are really all over the map in terms of tone and topic. Um, This is maybe on the lighter side, but it's not a light book. And it was just so enjoyable to read. So that is my book list, backlist book pick of the week. That sounds great, too. Okay, I'll go. I think I'll just like revert to a favorite. Um, so one of my favorite books is Salvage the Bones by Jesmyn Ward. Um, she won the National Book Award, I think, not last year, but the year before for Sing Unburied Sing. And I think anyone looking to get into her work should start with Salvage the Bones. Um, it takes place, it's basically about um, a family in uh, Mississippi in the days leading up to Hurricane Katrina. And uh, they are very poor. Uh, they're a black family. And it's told through the eyes of um, the girl. She has a couple brothers. Um, her name is Esh. And she has just found out she's pregnant with her boyfriend's child. And um, it's just such a fascinating read. I think, we, you know, we've known for forever that <laughs> there's like... Uh, a lot of things, a lot of structural issues in, in this country that are so, um, you know, that are making, creating huge divisions in terms of, like, who has wealth and who doesn't and, you know, things like that. But I think we've really kind of woken to that in terms of the conversation that's happening in the, in the media and elsewhere in this decade. And I think Salvage the Bones, which came out in 2011 or 2012, 
kind of was at the beginning of that, you know, like you learn about these people who we don't really talk about a lot Poor black family in Mississippi. And it's really like a really interesting story, you know, that is about the, this family, mostly just kids trying to survive in the wake of this hurricane. It draws on Greek mythology. So it's just a great book to read for plot. But I think there's so much there in terms of like, learning about like, hey, this is like a group of people we don't really talk about that much anywhere. You know, I would just recommend it for anyone who just wants to read a book like that's about like Americans. You know, I think she's kind of like Faulkner in that she can write about people who you wouldn't think about who are kind of, there's nothing really to recommend them. You know, like they're not really educated and they're not really interesting necessarily on the face of it. But these are like amazing characters who you fall in love with and you're rooting for and you're afraid for as this like storm is approaching. And I just, it's a book with so much heart and it's so well written and that would be my wreck to anyone. Ron Charles was on the show a couple of weeks ago and he recommended, um, it wasn't Salvage, the, I think it was Sing Unburied Sing. He recommended that on audio. I have that on audio and I want to listen to it on audio. And I think I have salvaged the bones. I read an article on Jasmine Ward and she's really interesting because she was living in different places. And I think the article that I read was about her. She's talking about why she chose to move back to Mississippi. And even though, it's looked upon terribly and terrible things have happened there. She just has such faith in it and it's her home and she was writing about going back there. So I'm really looking forward to reading her, listening to Sing Unburied Sing because he said that the audio sounded really good. Does she read the audio or is, do you know? I don't think, I think it's voiced by different people. So I think it might be more like getting a cast experience. So just as I'm listening to you talk about like accessibility and that being her most accessible work, I think maybe, maybe sing on buried sing, maybe the audio is a way to get into it. That's a good tactic. All right. Well, let's talk about some books that are coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, in May, there's so much good stuff coming out this summer. And I feel like there's been a lot of summer roundups, but I'm worried that May is getting overlooked. We're here to share, we're each going to share two books that we are looking forward to reading or exploring or considering reading later this spring. So, Nicole, you want to start with that? My book that I'm in the middle of reading right now is called Bitcoin Billionaires. The subtitle is A True Story of Genius, Betrayal, and Redemption. So it's one of my few nonfiction books that I've read this year. It is about what the Winklevoss twins did after they were awarded money from Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook and then how they turned around and started to invest in Bitcoin, which as we know, is sort of like this volatile cryptocurrency that you hear that's going to be the next big thing. And there's all this debate on whether it will be or not. But it's it, Ben Mesrich, he wrote The Social Network. Was that the name of the movie or was that the name of the book? I can't that's remember. the name of the movie. Um, so anyway, he wrote the book that that was based on. And he does such a good job in making the lives of these billionaires interesting and sort of getting you to invest in reading a story about these twins, you know, like, I think it's just so easy to think that everyone related to this, you know, especially Facebook being what it is now and all the issues that with it that are in the news to just 
make this easy to write off. You know, like who cares about these billionaires and now they're in, in investing in Bitcoin or whatever or how their relationship with Mark Zuckerberg went awry. But he makes their lives so interesting and it's like being a fly on the wall. Like I had to go back there's a note in the beginning about like, you know, how he has compiled, how he's put together this book. And it talks about all the intensive research he did and what sources he looked at and, and everything, because he, he goes, he makes it, it's so, I want to say it's so the perfect example of narrative nonfiction, where it's just like, well, how can you represent to us these conversations? Or how do you know what he's thinking? when you're telling us this story. But that's the way he tells the story, and it turns out to be really interesting. This was not anything that I thought I was going to be interested in. It was like one of these books that I was sent. I was just, you know, on the train, flipping through it, had to go somewhere, and it was it's completely engrossing. And I didn't know anything about Bitcoin, so... He wrote a book that I read called Bringing Down the House about Vegas and a gambling ring in Vegas, I won't read anything about Vegas. I'm obsessed with it. And I love his writing. It's just he makes it really fun, but also super interesting at the same time. Yeah, it's so personal. And I'm just, I see he has another book out. I don't think it was the Vegas one. Um, it seems like he likes to write about high finance or billionaires yeah. or rich people. Oh, I read a know. book about Russia too. Like all of Yeah, I think it's the Russia one that I was looking at. So I want to check out his, he just, it's fascinating to read this stuff. I'm just like, why am I reading about Bitcoin or these twins? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so mine is called Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene. And this is a book about um, a neighborhood two families, um, two of the neighbors are New York policemen and they live next door to each other. And then there's interaction between the two families. And um, my understanding is there's, a, it says there's a violent event that divides the neighbors and the neighbors are forced to move apart, but their kids who had connected develop a relationship. So um, it looks like literary fiction. It comes out May 28th. I don't really know too much about it, although I've seen a few good reviews of it. And it just the fact pattern sounded like something up my alley. So that is my May pick called Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene. Mm, nice. My May pick, excuse me, is uh, called Necessary People by Anna Petoniak. Um, it's I would say it's in the world of thrillers, but it's not your typical, like, someone gets is going to get killed or gets killed and we got to figure out who and there's a chase. You know, it's not really like that. It's more in the world of Patricia Highsmith in that kind of, like, very slow burn, character-driven. You know, we start out with a character who seems very bland and then they, they kind of develop this um, dark side as you read more about them and it's just, like kind of fun and you can't look away basically the story is there are these two best friends stella and violet you know it's a female friendship book and stella is like this rich girl she parties you know she's like kind of like blake lively in gossip girl like when she's like bad and violet is this poor girl she's from like florida or something they become best friends surprisingly in college and then after college stella you know just parties her way around the world and you know isn't really looking for like a job and Violet moves to New York, gets this internship at a cable news channel station, and just hustles, you know. And so she's, like, climbing her way up the ladder, and she's producing stories and just 
working really hard and then Stella comes back to New York and she's like, that's a cool thing you're doing. I want to do that. And so Stella, of course, like lands this, you know, she becomes the face of the station or whatever. She gets this huge opportunity there and she's just kind of stealing all of Violet's thunder. And so the book is about like, how does Violet deal with this? You know, she's always been the one left out of the limelight. And now this is something that really matters to her. She's finally differentiating herself from her, you know, much more glamorous best friend. And um, she just begins to not tolerate it. And so I won't give away what happens, but it's just, it's exciting. And it's got this crazy twist in the middle. First, it begins a little more slowly, but you really get to know the characters and then like the plot just takes off and it's just a really fun read. So both of your books were on my list. So I'm glad you mentioned them. <laughs> so I don't feel deprived that they weren't spoken about or, or won't be anticipated. And those two, the two that me and Siobhan mentioned are coming out on the 21st and Gail's pick is coming out on the 28th of May. So you can get your holds list ready if you want to. <laughs> yeah. So those were your two? Okay. Or they were on um, no. your list? No, yeah, they were on my list. Okay. But I have others. Okay. You know, I, have, I have extras. All right, go ahead. Okay. So Tim Murphy is coming out with a book. It's called Correspondence. Tim Murphy wrote this book called Christadora, which I really, really loved. It, um, he tends to write long. This book is 448 pages. I think his last book was sort of like 500 pages, and he, his last book, Christadora, was set in this apartment building called the Christadora, which is down in the East Village. And I believe it's it was set in like the 90s, like late 80s, early 90s. And it's about the AIDS, just how AIDS is, is affecting the gay community and how it affects this couple who adopt this child. So it's an intergenerational story. It came out before... Rebecca Mackay's The Great Believers. And, you know, Rebecca Mackay talks about people having allies and how she wrote her book, which I felt like was a much bigger book. But there's also his book that I think is has interesting things to say about that conversation as well. And he is a gay man writing about those things. So now he has this novel called The Correspondence. This woman from Boston, she is half Irish, but also of Arab descent and she becomes involved in she goes to Harvard but she becomes involved in one of the Palestinian wars so she goes over to Baghdad in 2003 and gets into trouble while she's there so it's sort of like I don't know too much about it but it's about correspondence and war and how they become involved in this war and what happens to her what you know like something of course will happen during the course of this war that changes her life and I don't even know that she's able to go back to the life in the United States that she had so he's written another one of these sort of very ambitious sweeping novels but he did such a good job with Christadora that I'm looking forward to reading this so I didn't read Christodora. It's sitting in my house, and I think he was a classmate of mine in college, and a friend, really? another, yeah, another classmate of ours um, who has kind of worked in publishing in and out over the years. She sent me her copy of it, and of course, I haven't read it. So, Did she like it? Yeah, she loved it. So I don't, I don't remember him. I don't, I don't think I knew him in college, but she said he was in our class, and she's friends with him. So she was like, "You got to read this," but of course, I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's your decade. It's yeah. 
I don't know. All the, the books I've read about AIDS, I are, I've, I've really enjoyed them. They're so compelling. I was actually talking to someone in my office about this, like AIDS in the eighties, the kind of like world war two, there's just such fertile ground for unbelievable storytelling. There's just, the stories are so sad and they're so, um, they're so compelling. And uh, I don't know. I, I think of like, Rebecca Mackay or I think of three Junes and they're just, I, I've really like been so affected by them. So I, and his book is really sweeping. It's not like it's just um, confined to the gay community because basically it's about a child who is adopted by white parents. And I think his family has been affected and some, his mother had been affected and died. So it's like about his relationship with his adoptive parents is about New York in different time periods because it does concentrate on the 80s and 90s when some things were happening but then it's also looking forward to as he's growing up with his his adoptive parents so it's just about the ripple effects that things have on family and life mm-hmm. so mm, sounds good okay so my next one is called how not to die alone by richard roper and also on my list okay also comes out <laughs> may 28th So this is a book about a guy who is working, uh, has managed to create this life around him. I have not read this, but has managed to create this, this lie around him that he has this wife and family at home Hmm. and that he's happy, but in reality lives alone. And, um, I guess a new coworker shows up who kind of threatens to expose him and break down that wall. Kind of, I've heard it described similar to Eleanor Oliphant. Um, so to the extent it's a book about, you know, somebody who may be on the spectrum or maybe has some sort of challenges in kind of relating in a regular way or the normal way that we all relate to each other sounds maybe a little bit like, uh, the book I just finished, um, the girl he used to know. And I don't know, reviews on Goodreads, it's like five star after five star after five star. So I'm going to keep an eye out for this one. Maybe get myself on the list for it. That is a great one. I was going to say that one. <laughs> so, oh, oh. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Um, it's so, it's so sweet. I'll just pile on if that's okay. This Please. book for me, like, I have a very special place in my heart for any book, and this is really specific, any book that has a main character who has an obsession with, um, like, toy trains. I just, <laughs> I read like three books like this in the last year and I think it's so endearing. It just says so much about a type of person who was like obsessive and uh, a collector, you know, but that's um, kind of the main character's um, special hobby and where he spends his time. And it's also um, a bit of a crutch for him because it's what allows him to occupy, to take, occupy his time, um, you know, and feel a sense of community with the other you know, fanatics that he, um, knows like online, but also to keep like the world at the dis at a distance because he is not going out there and trying to find someone to marry or whatever. He, um, he, you know, he wants to stay at home after work and play with his trains. Um, anyway, I thought that was like a really sweet detail, but yeah, I would add, um, you know, the comparisons to Eleanor Oliphant are extremely apt, and I think it's going to be really big. I hope. it's It's got a lot of heart. 
Is this going to be on one of your lists? It is going to be a May selection. <laughs> oh, how exciting. Okay. All right. Well, I think that that takes us to the end of the show. Um, it that is-, is so funny because now we had five books and Siobhan was saying that's the perfect number. So we didn't have six. We have five. We have five. And we had a lot of overlap, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, Siobhan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really, this really fun so to talk to fun. you. Yeah. Been great for having me i loved it i feel like we all have like the same taste we should have our own book club <laughs> yes. yeah i know yes well well you know we'll have to have you back on um you know maybe when we're talking about like the fall preview or um you know later on this summer we could talk about summer reads but we'd love to check in with you since yeah since we all like the same stuff all right well let everybody know uh, they can find book of the month, of course, but do you have like mention your Instagram or other places that you like to connect with people personally? Sure. I mean, I'm always, you know, I love connecting with people on Instagram. Obviously people can follow book of the month. It's just book of the month. Um, I'm on Instagram as well at, um, Siobhan J. I have three N's in the name and my name's impossible to spell. So, uh, not sure that's that helpful, but, um, yeah, I, I read a lot of, People who are commenting on the book of the month Instagram, I read that and I'm looking at the Facebook groups and stuff. I'm like a real snoop. So, um, you know, always looking to connect with readers and that's a lot of fun for me. Great. Cool. All right. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode. Hopefully you got some nice insight into book of the month. Um, definitely check it out, uh, and see if it's something that you might want to subscribe to. And if you like the show, please share it with your friends, share it with the other book lovers in your life, post it uh, wherever you discuss or comment on books. And if you don't mind, take a second to leave us a review or a rating. Um, We'd always really appreciate it. So thanks so much. And until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Reader Leader. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.